Where there were once roars, now there are just echoes. The handshakes and the hugs of yore are now too dangerous. But I don't believe in fear. I don't believe in panic. I don't believe that this has any idea what it's up against. Our resolve, steadied by faith, calmed by song, healed by prayer, I believe. I believe these halls will roar again. The silence of now will cower at the noise of soon. When the question of who will answer this call is asked, thousands will raise their fist and say, I will, we will. Our enemy has no chance. It has no prayer. And I believe, I believe our best is yet to come. These hope-tinged words were not delivered by a political leader or a cultural activist, but by country music's own Eric Church. Yeah. In the midst of the COVID pandemic, uh, Church released a video promising his fans, which are dubbed the Church Choir, which is problematic, but also really clever, uh, that they would one day soon gather again. A bit later in the year, he announced his Gather Again tour, and thousands of his fans gathered to thunderously celebrate being together. All right, so his message is, is a bit melodramatic. It, the, the, the video is a little schlocky, but uh, it, it's, he's a country music star and he wants to make a lot of money. So I, I get it, you know, it's not like it's life or death. So anyway, but, but there, there is something in church's message that rings true because we are meant, designed, and, and desire to be together. There's something in our DNA. We aren't made to be apart. And we, we experienced how tragically perverse it is to not be together. And I don't wanna ever talk about that again, but it fit the sermon, so here we are. While the church choir's togetherness centers around their love of rowdy country music, the church's togetherness isn't based around some singular shared interest. We don't gather simply because we have the same likes or dislikes, because we just enjoy being around each other. We don't gather just because we're supposed to gather. We don't even gather because we have the same social or moral, ethical or political cause. And we gather because God has called us to himself together. And we gather to be in God's presence. Our gathering centers around the presence of God and our full-faced, fearlessly confident access to him. This is far and away, in every way, infinitely greater than some concert experience. To be in the presence of God and to enjoy him is why we were created. And today in the book of Hebrews, we're gonna see how access to the presence of God transforms and shapes our togetherness, our gathering. So here's the summation of the, of the sermon, the trailer, okay, of, of the text. If you're a note taker, this may be something you wanna write down. You kind of help God. Through Jesus, we have unhindered access to God's presence so we can draw near to him with an assured life-giving hope that he will fully accept us and change us to love like Jesus. Through Jesus, we have unhindered access to God's presence so we can draw near to him with an assured life-giving hope that he will fully accept us and change us to love like Jesus. So the book of Hebrews is, uh, it, it is a, the, what the writer's trying to do is show how the Old Testament law and sacrificial system 
silhouettes Jesus. They are just shadows of the greater reality uh, that was fulfilled in Christ. And if you think of a shadow you know, cast on the wall, like if you're looking at your own shadow, you know, you can move and, and you see the form of whatever's there. Like you can tell the difference between like a dog and a cup because of the shadow, but you don't have detail. You don't really, really know what you're looking at. You don't see the real thing. The Old Testament law and all of the practices that they, uh, that, that they exhibited, that they did, were shadows of Christ and his work on our behalf. So we see that through Jesus, we have unhindered access to God's presence. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to the, to, to the church, brothers is brothers and sisters, it's everybody, it's the whole church. And he says that we have confidence. This word confidence means a free and fearless courage. Okay, it is a cheerful courage. It, it, it's the imagery of, of joyfully sprinting towards something that you are looking forward to. It's the kid when he shows up to Disney World, he's like, I can't wait to go, let's go. And he just runs ahead of, of, his, of his family and takes off. The, it, this confident attitude stems from a permission that is given to do something. It's like my kids when they go to the trampoline park. It's like they have permission to go crazy and jump around and act, and act nuts. So they go and they just go absolutely crazy. They can't do that at my house. They don't have permission to do that. Trampoline park, have at it. And what do they, we have permission to enter confidently is the holy places. We're going back to Old Testament. This is a reference to the tabernacle, which was a big tent that was set up uh, after the Exodus when the people of God were in the wilderness. He wanted to be with them. He wanted his presence to be with them. So they built a big, so he instructed them to build a big tent called the tabernacle. And there were two areas of this tabernacle, front area and a back area. The front area is where the uh, priests would do their daily uh, sacrif sacrifices and offerings. That's where they would do their daily work. But the back chamber was segmented off by this thick curtain and in that was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant contained a number of, 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 uh, of objects, including uh, the law uh, tablets that, that Moses put in there. Uh, and that is where God's presence resided. That's where it, it manifested there. And so the back area was where God's presence uh, would be uh, witnessed and, and experienced. And this area was called the Holy of Holies. Now, when the Jewish readers, because this was to, to predominantly Jewish church, would read that sentence, they would have probably paused and be like, hold the phone, wait a minute, that ain't right. It would have shocked them because the Holy of Holies was inaccessible to anybody, but to everybody except one person, the high priest, one day a year. It was the only time that the priest could enter that area called the Day of Atonement. And so the high priest would enter the tabernacle and go through this very elaborate process of purification, certain clothes, certain sacrifices that they would have to do. And if he did not do those correctly, he would die. Why? Because God is holy. He is completely other from us. And we are sinful. We do, we are, he is righteous. We are unrighteous. And so when unrighteousness meets the pure blazing righteousness of God, we die. We're gone. We cannot be in the presence of God without being purified and live. And now what the writer of Hebrews is saying is we have confidence. Everybody. It's not just the high priest one time a year. It's everybody can run to the presence of God. How? By the blood of God. Jesus. Blood was required so that purification of sin can happen. 
That was the Old Testament uh, process to display Christ. And so the priest would have to make blood animal sacrifices for himself and for the people, but Jesus is that sacrifice. He gave his own blood, he let his own blood flow so that we could be purified, so that we could be atoned for our sin. And so we enter into God's presence only by Jesus, by his sacrificial work alone. And there's no amount of good work that could possibly get you access to God. None, zero. There's no, there's no amount of, of money you can give to the church or to, other, or to a charity. There's no volunteer work you could do. You, you, it doesn't matter if you actually fulfill your New Year's resolution this year. Uh, it, it, coming to church, bringing meals to folks who, who, who are stuck at home. It doesn't matter. It's only by the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. So the new way, Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. There's a new thing. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Say, like, hey, this is a new thing. Jesus is your sacrificial lamb. His blood was spilled for you. And so, and so he's, he's trying to say the old system's done. This is the new way that God is doing it. And it is a living way. It's a life-giving way that is eternally life-giving. See, the priest would have to give daily sacrifices. I don't, I, I can't, I don't think we could ever calculate how many animals died in the old system. And, he, and they would have to do this all day, every day, all the time. But Jesus made one sacrifice. His one body was cut open and his blood spilled. He made one sacrifice and the life that Jesus had and has is the very life of God because he is God. So through his sacrifice, his death, his life is given to us if we accept him by faith. His life has the power to exert his power onto and into our life. He took our sin and we get his life. And because he is God, this life is eternal, everlasting, permanent, and, and constantly, uh, and it's constant. And this was accomplished through the curtain of his flesh. Remember the, the tabernacle, the curtain separated the daily activity of the priest into the Holy of Holies, which was God's manifest presence. Jesus is that curtain. He's, he is what was ripped open so that we can have access into God's presence. And he leads us into God's presence. It's only Jesus. Years ago, when I uh, was leading worship at Crew, uh, there was a guy who's from a different denominational affiliation than I was in, and he came up to me after uh, one time leading worship, he said, he said, brother, you are anointed. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. And uh, he, said, he said, you, uh, God has given you the ability to lead people into the presence of God. And that made me very uncomfortable because no, I don't, and you don't, and nobody up here does. That's heresy, <laughs> it's Jesus alone. That's it. That's how we are led into the presence of God is by Jesus. He is your worship leader. He is your king that leads you uh, to the throne room of the Father. And at his death, the curtain of the temple tore, showing that all who trust in Christ have access to God. So Jesus is our blood sacrifice, giving us permission to enter God's presence. But he's also our great high priest, verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So the high priest, his role was to serve as kind of a mediator between God and man, a, a, a temporary bridge, if you will. Um, but he was sinful. 
and he had to purify himself and he was replaced when he would die. Another one would come in and take over his duties. There, it, it wasn't an everlasting high priest, but Jesus is the great high priest over the house of God, which is all of God's people, the church, and he is eternally in this role. He does not retire. He doesn't give up. He doesn't let up and he doesn't transfer his role to another. He joyfully mediates on our behalf before God. And he doesn't have to purify himself. He doesn't have to sacrifice anything so that he can be in the presence of God. He himself is the sacrifice because he's pure and he's holy and he's perfectly pure, perfectly righteous. And so he is eternally, all the time before the Father, pleading our case, saying they're mine for those who trust in him. And scripture tells us that for those who trust Christ by faith, you are in Christ, right? You're united to him. And so he's in the presence of God. Therefore, if you're in him, you have access to that presence as well. And so because Jesus is our sacrifice and high priest, he is our hope of purification before God's presence. And so that's what Christ has done. That's what God has done for us in Christ. So now what do we do? Look at verse 22. Let us draw near. Through Jesus, we can draw near to God with an assured, life-giving hope that he fully accepts us. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies purified, washed with pure water. Church, God is not a disappointed dad shaking his head at the fact that you can't get your life together. He's telling you right now, he wants you to come and draw near fearlessly with courage. Doesn't make any sense. If you're in Christ, that is true for you. But how do you know you can just go to God? How do you know that you can be, how can you be fully assured that he will accept you? How do you have assurance of faith? You don't look to yourself and your faith. You don't look to your ability to do anything or to believe hard enough or anything like that. You look to the cross. You look to Jesus where he gave his body and blood for us. You look to your sacrifice that atones for your sin, that purifies you. And notice that this isn't a partial purifying, right? This isn't like Jesus gets you clean and then you gotta make sure you can keep yourself clean. No, look, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, the, the, the language here is talking about a full atonement, heart, mind, body, everything has been purified. All of us is clean. There is no part of you that Jesus does not take, grab, and and purify and sanctify. If you are in Christ, you are pure. End of sentence. That's why you can come to him and know that God will accept you. You just trust Jesus. He's gonna take care of it. And so because Christ has made you pure, you can draw near to the Lord here and now, right now. And when you leave and when you unpack at home and tomorrow when you wake up and when you go to work. And he will accept you if you're in Christ. So run to him. Is your soul brimming with anxiety? Draw near. Are you buckling under the weight of your responsibility? Draw near. You see this stack of medical bills and you're like, I don't know how we're ever gonna pay for this. Draw near. Is your kid running from Jesus and you're wrecked with anxiety about him? Draw near. 
Be frustrated that once again, you've lost the battle with sin and here you are again in your guilt and your shame. Don't run from him, run to him and draw near. So we're told to draw near and to hold fast to our confession. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Why does he give this encouragement? It's because the Hebrew church was under harsh persecution. If you think about the early first century church, the word persecution is right next door, always, constantly. There was all kinds of things that people believed about them and did to them. If you were part of the church at that time, you could lose your job, you could lose your family members, your position, your status, Uh, you could be imprisoned, you would receive daily mockery, slander, and insults. And so due to their confession, they would, all these things would happen. What was their confession? That Jesus is Lord. And so we hold fast to this confession of our hope. That is, Jesus is Lord. He has purified us. He, because of his sacrifice and him reigning as, as our king and high priest, we are able to come to the Father. We hold fast to that confession. And while I don't think that we're being persecuted, I don't, I don't, I don't think the church is being persecuted in this place. We do live in a culture that is growing increasingly hostile to the gospel. Uh, I recently found out about multiple lawsuits that have happened, and and some of them are are older, within a few years, where Christians are being coerced to deny their fundamental beliefs on marriage. There's actually one at the Supreme Court right now where people people are being forced to communicate a message that they they think is anti-gospel, anti-God, against uh, not just their beliefs, but against the truth of, of Scripture. And I've been thinking a lot about this. I got four boys and, and you know, they still got, it's gonna feel, it feels like they don't, but they got a little bit of time left in my home. Um, and the cultural landscape that they're gonna inherit is really different than the one I grew up with. And that can cause a lot of fear and panic. Um, where it, we live in a culture where sin isn't like tolerated like it was when I was younger, it's celebrated. And it's like, if you don't celebrate this with us, uh, you're gone. Like, forget you, go, go, go live in a field somewhere, get away from us. And so the future is always intimidating. And so what do we do? We hold fast to the gospel hope that God is faithful and he will do good to his people. We hold fast to the confession of our hope. So we've seen that through Jesus, we have unhindered access to God's presence. Because of this, we can draw near to him. I just can't get over that. You can just go to God with an assured life-giving hope that he will fully accept us. Now we'll see that God calls us to draw near, not just so that we can have this little high and holy moment with him, but so that we will be changed, so that we will look more like Jesus. And through Jesus, God will change us to love like Jesus. I'm gonna read both 24 and 25 together and then we'll kind of break it down. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this this feels like a little bit of a strange switch. Why does the writer of Hebrews transition from the unbelievable fearless access we have to God, calling us to draw near to him to, all right, now y'all get together. It's kind of strange because access to God and the ability to draw near to him is not just for you. It's not just for me. There is no I in church. There is no I in access to God. We have access to him together, collectively. 
He doesn't simply invite you into his presence. He invites all of us into his presence. And this access is so much bigger than, than, than just you or just me. And that is a far better thing than if we just had it alone. Let's say that uh, the cats, some miracle happens and they actually make it to the final game of the final four, all right? It's a lot of mocking laughter right there. Um, and someone hands you tickets. Say, hey, go, enjoy it. So you fly down to Houston. I think that's where it's gonna be. And, uh, and, and you're walking up to the arena and you can hear the, the, the roar already. Like there's people in the parking lot. We're all walking in together. You walk in and that, that excitement is just building up in you, welling up. And you go and, and you're like, man, I need to get some snacks. So you go to the, to the uh, concession stand and everybody's buzzing. We're all talking about, you know, there's some banter going back between the, cat, the you know, Cats fans and whoever else they're gonna beat. Um, and you're standing there waiting to spend $45 on a Coke. And you get all your stuff and you're headed into the arena and you can hear it and it's coming and you walk in and you hear the pounding of the basketball and the squeaking of the shoes and that's it. There's no crowd, just silence. Have you ever heard, have you ever been watching a game and all of a sudden the crowd mics just go out and all you hear is quick, 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 Like it's the weirdest thing in the world. It's so uncomfortable. So you sit down and you're going, all right. And you're just looking around, like you're enjoying the game. Like let's say they're winning. Like, oh yeah, you're excited about that. But it's a muted excitement. It's just awkward and weird. Okay, all the illustrations break down at some point, okay? So, but in, 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 a, in, a, in a way, the crowd makes the experience, right? Similarly, the yallness of Christianity makes the enjoyment of God's presence all the sweeter. Why? I'm looking at you. <laughs> You're why. <laughs> Just, you get to see God's presence alive and working in other people. And it confirms that he is real and that he is working in your own life. The y'all experience of God's presence presence magnifies our experience of the goodness of God's presence. Now, this isn't something that this church really struggles with. You all love to be together a lot. Like it's hard to get you into the worship service. Y'all love to be together so much. <laughs> that was for you. No, just kidding. Uh, and, and, and I hear stories constantly about, about how y'all getting together just in random ways. Like there's like four Bible studies going on. I had no idea that was, that was going. There's like 30 women in each of them. Men, come on, let's go. Uh, and, or, 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 or so-and-so's visiting so-and-so or uh, uh, there's just, uh, you know, when everybody's waterline broke, what was it, last week? Been a long week. Uh, the week before, like folks are just, they're just helping. They're just like, yeah, this is what we do. Like we're family. This is how we're gonna take care of each other. This is a church that it understands and embraces the, and delights in the particular yallness of Christianity. And so, to be honest with you, it kind of seems unnecessary to say, hey, we need to make sure we gather this year. Although I will say that. But I wanna make sure that our togetherness is rightly focused. That we don't just gather because we like to be around each other. Because to be honest with you, one day you're not gonna like the people you like today because they're gonna tell you something that you don't like, that you don't wanna hear. We gather to experience the presence of God together, to be the people of God together. And that through our experience of God together, we go on changed. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So 
access into God's presence is not just for you to have this like elated emotional spiritual experience, okay? That's good. If God gives you those, great, wonderful. But we enter God's presence to be changed, to become what we actually are. In Christ, God calls you perfect. He calls you purified. He calls you, he, he, he calls you whole. You, you don't feel that right now. I know that because you look at your, at your own life, you see all the sin that's there and you go, well, how can that be? Being changed by God, sanctification, is not a process in becoming pure, right? God has called you pure if you're in Christ. It's becoming what you already are. It's learning how to, how to, how to walk and live as a son and daughter of the King of God. And so, we come together to help one another along in that process. And it's intentional. Notice the word consider. This means to fix your mind upon, uh, to, 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 to think about how to stir up somebody to love and good work. So when you walk into this building, when you get together in your BFG or an equip group or just hanging out, there's an intention that Christian community and Christian fellowship and Christian togetherness is inherently different than every other kind because, because of the presence of God that is there, right? You don't get to check out of, of being a Christian when you're around, when you're around in certain contexts and stuff like that. And so, and, and you don't, meaning there's an intentional thinking about how can I stir this person up towards love and good works? How can I, how can I help you follow Jesus better? And, and this word stir up means, uh, it's, it's an aggressive term. It's not just like, you know, this little mix right here. It's, it's, it's like an incite, agitate, shake them up. I don't, if, you've, if you know the drink, uh, what, kombucha, right? It's, uh, it's terrible. Uh, but it's good for you. So, uh, but, but in it, if, if you get the, the, the good kind, you'll notice at the bottom, it, there's like this nasty brown junk that's just there and it looks horrible. Um, that's all the good stuff for your, for your stomach, allegedly. I don't actually know. Don't, if, you, if you're like, I'm a scientist and kombucha is trash, I don't know. I don't, this is just, I'm just reading the label. Uh, but that's where all the goodness is, right? And so you take the bottle and you kind of stir it up. You roll it around and make sure all that, all that junk gets into the rest of the drink so that when you drink it, you're not just getting one really hard hit down there at the bottom. In a similar way, all right, that's over. Here we go. In a similar way, we come in here to stir one another up, to agitate one another, one another up so that, uh, so that all of that good gospel goodness gets stirred up in each other. Why do we need this? Why does the writer of Hebrews encourage us in this way? It's because we're selfish and we need to be agitated towards Christ-likeness because throughout the week, like today, like you walk out like, yes, like I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it this week. Like, let's go, you're all hyped up. And then Monday hits and over the course of the week, you get consumed with my schedule, my task, my kids, my problems, and you forget that anybody else exists. And the cares of this life make the good gospel stuff settle on the bottom of your life and you need someone to come in here and shake you up. Like, hey, follow Jesus. Maybe don't be a jerk about it, but you know, you can do that. And so when we gather, we stir each other up. And so you need to walk in here to be an agitator of gospel goodness. I can't tell you how many times that happens to me uh, walking in here. And it's not even that you do it, maybe you do it on purpose, I don't know. But I just see how you, how you are. And, and the preaching of, of the word, uh, it, it stirs in my soul a deep desire to follow Christ harder. And so there's some ways you can do this. 
you can reassure others how you see God working in their life. I think, I don't know. This is true for me and a lot of people that I know. Many of us don't see it. We don't see it. We do not see how God is working in their lives. We don't see the evidence of God's grace in our life. And all that they see is the bear trap of sin that's got a hold of them, that is not letting them go. And so you come in and you tell them, hey, here's how I see God working in your life. Here's the evidence of God's grace that I've seen in your life. Pray and really pray. Not just like a little, you know, like text, like praying or whatever. Like, nope, like grab them and go, hey, I know service is about to start. Let's go pray. It's okay. That's, that's an acceptable reason to be slightly late for the worship service. You go up to someone's like, hey, I'm taking the kids on Thursday night. You go take your wife out on a date. No, 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 we're good. No, you're not good. I can see it. Like, go, get, go, go, go enjoy it. You rebuke sin. You see it in someone, you gently rebuke them. Don't be a jerk about it, but remind them that Jesus is better than that. Start an equip group and make people come. Don't invite them, be like, you're coming to my house. I'm gonna drive to you and come bring you to my house. And so we can do these things all the time, right? Just throughout our daily lives. But there's a uniqueness to this moment that is, that is unlike anywhere else. When, when we gather as a whole body, verse 25, not neglecting, so stir one another up, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So some believers at, at this time in the church, uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to, weren't gathering and he's calling them out, which I guess if they weren't present at the reading of this letter, they wouldn't even know they were being called out. So it was up to somebody to go tell them. Uh, but why were they not gathering? Because it was really dangerous to do that because they were being persecuted. Years ago, I uh, went to, to China uh, with, with, some, with some folks um, on a, a mission trip. And uh, we met a, a Chinese believer there named Lulu. That's not her real name, um, but that's, that's, that's what, what, what we call her. And so um, it's illegal to gather there, for the church to gather. And they did it anyway. <laughs> they didn't care. And I remember we were talking over a, a bowl of hot pot, which was really hot. And, uh, and I, said, I said, Lulu, like, aren't y'all scared? And she didn't bat an eye. She said, yeah, but we know the father loves us. And we know we're supposed to do this. So that's what we're going to do. And it wasn't like she, you know, stood up and was like, yes. Like, you know, like it wasn't like this bold moment. It was casual. She's like, yeah, but okay. And, and it blew my mind. She was fearless because she knew that God had joyfully accepted her. And so she's going to joyfully gather and accept the saints regardless of this, of the consequences. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't let something like persecution stop you from meeting. Meet. Be together, remember the gospel and stir up that gospel goodness. If, if God is calling a persecuted church to meet and to gather and to be together, we legitimately have no, uh, th that is being persecuted, we have no legitimate reason not to meet and to be together. So we're to stir up this gospel goodness and encourage one another. We gather to encourage and to be encouraged. I'm gonna say something shocking. Life is hard. <laughs> and everybody said, yep, you know that. And you know that you need God's people to remind you of God's goodness. And they need you to remind them of the same. And so we stir up one another to love and good works by being together, reminding each other of the gospel. I wanna be clear. Love and good works are not the foundation of our purification, 
but they are the expression of our purification, okay? Right? God has purified us. Together, we are becoming what God has already called us to be, pure and more like Jesus. And some of this happens, in, some of it happens very, with, with great intention, and some of it happens by just being who we are. I went to Walmart the other day to pick up some uh, headlamps and, and lanterns because somebody had a, a power outage and their pipes burst, and so uh, I was asked to pick that stuff up because couldn't, they couldn't see anything. And I went to Walmart to, to buy that and uh, started talking to the, to the uh, lady who ran the cash register uh, in the back. If you're here this morning, like, thanks for coming. It's great. It'd be good. Um, and, uh, and we were just talking as you do and, and, and uh, I told her what we were doing, you know, kind of the flooding we'd had at our, at our church, how crazy it was. And she said, oh, you, oh Ashlyn, uh, do you know Hannah Lockhart? I was like, yeah, I know Hannah Lockhart. And she said, I just love her so much. I was like, yeah, everybody does. Like, it's really hard not to. Like, that would, you'd be a weird person if you didn't. But here's what she said. She, and she, yeah, she said, being around her makes me want to be a better person. She's just full of light. And I was like, amen, the light of the gospel. And if you know her, you know that's true. She's like a effervescent, like Alka-Seltzer bubbling of joy. And it's, it's great. Uh, and there's so many of you that, that are the same. You radiate gospel light. Your presence and who God has made you to be in Christ displays God's good work in your life. Uh, the bishops, if you guys know what's been going on with them over the last two weeks, uh, Chad found out that he uh, had a 99% blockage in like his main artery and a bunch of other stuff that, that, that was wrong. It was a big deal. And uh, so, we, so Eric, myself, and Austin went to go visit him. It was like the day before his surgery. And we walked in and the first thing out of his mouth was an insult. And I was like, yep, that's my guy. That's him. Like he's here, ready to go. That's actually really encouraging to me. That's my love language. So I was here for it. Um, and so we're, we're talking and whatnot. And then you know, it was time for him to move on to some legitimate procedure that he needed. And so uh, we skedaddled. But as we were walking out, Amanda said, hey, I'll walk with y'all out. So we got out of the room and um, and we stopped and, you know, you have those moments where like people are okay when they have to be okay because they have to be strong for the other person. And, and we just looked at her and we're like, hey, how are you doing? She's like, oh, you know, I said, no, no, no. Like, how are you doing? And, and she said, um, mind you, her husband's about to have open heart surgery, okay? She said, and it's so simple, so simple. She said, through a trembling voice with tears starting to sting her eyes, I'm so scared but I know that God is faithful and he's gonna be good to us no matter what happens tomorrow. That's the kind of gospel hope that you have. On Christmas Eve, we did not ask anybody to be here. And 50 people just showed up, ruined their Christmas Eve, right? And we're like, what are y'all doing here? Go home. And they wouldn't go, they wouldn't leave. It was really, it was wild. Uh, just that, I, I can't think of anything that was more encouraging to me because as you said last week, you, we saw that, we we're like, we're not gonna be here for, for a month. I was thinking two months. He's more hopeful than I am, I guess. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, the next day, we're, we're, we're gathering. Praise God, that was amazing. So, so it's just, we gather to delight in God's presence together and be changed by his presence together. And we display that change and that light uh, and, and that presence to each other. And we're to do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the day? What day are we talking about? It's the day of the Lord. That's Christ's return. It's when he's coming back. And we're to do this all the more as we see that day drawing near. So the assumption that's being made here is that life is going to get more difficult. There's never a let up. 
There's no assumption that, that scripture ever makes that this world is going to get better before Christ comes back. So we long for that day and we should gather together to assure one another that our hope is not in our present circumstance, but in the one who lived, died, and raised again and who's coming back to bring us home. So to be reminded of this, we gather. But I wanna tell you something. If you have never entered the holy places by the blood of Jesus, all you're gathering and all you're doing is totally pointless. You can come here and you can sing and you can listen and you can read scripture and you can serve coffee and you can serve in the kids and you can do all these different things. And if, but if that's where your hope lies, you have no hope and you're sprinting straight to hell. We can only enter the holy places by distrusting any ability we have to please God and trusting Jesus's ability to save us. Simply, it's self-trust equals a rejection from God's presence. Christ's trust equals an acceptance into God's presence. Self-trust is rejection. Christ's trust is acceptance. And so we gather not to earn access into God's presence, but to enjoy it, to celebrate it, to delight in it. We come with full assurance that in Christ, we are fully accepted by a God who's eternally pleased with us because he's pleased with his son. So we boldly approach the throne of God together. When Eric Church descended into Le onto Lexington, Kentucky, more than 15,000 Kentuckians descended on Rupp Arena. It's a lot of people. Now, I was not there, just in case you were wondering, but I watched a few concert videos of what it was like. It was wild, it was real, real wild. Every chord strike, every fist pump, every song break, that crowd went into a frenzy. Woo! I mean, every time, I'm, that was really loud. Wow, okay. And so as I watched these videos, honestly, I felt kind of uncomfortable. And it wasn't because people were gathering together and all the sickness, and all, I didn't care at all, to be honest with you. But what made me uncomfortable was that in the presence of a, of a country music star, these folks went crazy, screaming their heads off. And so often... <laughs> in the presence of God, like right now, we are, just, it's true. And so often my heart is just mute, on mute, cold. And I, and I worry that that's the, 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 the truth for you too. And that makes no sense. The church of the living God has full, fearless access to his presence. And there is no greater gift. There's no greater joy than to be in God's presence with God's people. So my prayer is that we would be thrilled just to be in God's presence together. Because here's the reality. One day, those who are in Christ aren't gonna gather in a big arena. We're gonna gather around a big throne. And our bodies that are prone to sickness and disease and death and temptation and falling, failing to sin will give way to new glorified bodies that will never experience any of those things again. Hallelujah. And there we, with an untold number of other believers, billions upon billions of around the throne will be in the presence of our Savior face-to-face, -face, completely unhindered, no distance, no barrier. And we'll behold his glory fully and we will sing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the halls of heaven will roar with his praise.